Before I begin this morning, I wanted to just make a quick, say a quick word about our own Zach Hardy. Uh, he's leaving today to head to direct Cairo Camp at Camp Kumbaya with 6th through 8th graders and then uh, washing his clothes at camp and staying for the next week to counsel at CYF camp, the high school camp. And I happen to know that if you do more than one camp at a summer, it's like a straight ticket to heaven. So you're going to go first in line. I learned that in seminary. And, um, but maybe, I don't know if you don't know this, but Zach didn't grow up going to camp. And just look at him now. Not only is he making camp happen for our own kids here in Madisonville and Hopkins County, but he has a leadership role and is making camp happen for kids all around Western Kentucky. So when you see him, give him a pat on the back and make sure he has his bug spray because it's going to be a wonderful two weeks. So thank you, Zach. So it's Pentecost, the birth of the church. How do you talk about the wind-swept spirit of God at work? I remember a minister talking about a time she filled in for teaching the preschool Sunday school class at her church. And it happened to be Pentecost Sunday. And she said, well, this is easy. I'm going to bake a cake. We'll bring a cake in. I'll talk about what Pentecost is. It's the birth of the church. We'll sing happy birthday to the church. And then we'll all eat the cake. And it'll be a great morning. And it was a great morning. And then later on in the day, she got a phone call from my mom with a preschooler in that class. And she said, my son is saying some confusing things. Can you just... Tell me what you all talked about today. And she said, well, it's Pentecost. We have birthday cake. And the mom said, oh, you know, Pentecost does sound like Santa Claus. <laughs> and she said, my son is telling me that Santa Claus is coming to church on his birthday and lighting everyone's heads on fire. <laughs> so there you go. Spirit of God at work. But the truth is, it's hard to talk about how the Spirit of God moves, how the Spirit of God is at work. And so I thought today that I would begin by telling the story of how it happened in the book of Acts. We're going to go straight to the source in Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read 21 verses. Now keep in mind that this is 50 days after that first Easter morning, after the empty tomb. The disciples are in a room together, they are praying, they are waiting. It happens to be the festival of Shavuot, which happens 50 days after Passover, which maybe you've heard it called the Festival of Weeks. And it is a Jewish festival where they celebrate um, the giving of the law, the Torah, to Moses on Mount Sinai. And so the city of Jerusalem has once again filled with people from all over. In fact, it must have felt like the entire world was outside their doors. And I invite you to read along with me this morning in Acts chapter 2 as I read the story. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with 
with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at the sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in their native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs in our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? Others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Now this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be. God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I shall show forth in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood. For the coming of the Lord, great and glorious day, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jerusalem has once again exploded with people for the high holy day of the festival. There are people from all over the world. You heard me struggle through those names and places, some of them relegated far into the history books now. Faithful Jews would have been there to celebrate. There would have been Gentiles there to help offer services for the event. It had to feel like the world was outside their doors. And what are the disciples doing? They are hunkered down and waiting. Praying too, but they're waiting. And they're not out spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. They're not out serving or volunteering anywhere. They're just hunkered down in a room waiting for some sense of instructions on what comes next. Maybe a few of them were contemplating their plan B. Maybe it was time to get out those fishing nets again. Maybe a few of them were wondering if this whole Jesus adventure was over. They're gathered in the room when a miracle occurs. The wind-swept power of the Holy Spirit comes through like a rushing Violet wind and changes everything like a spark. A fire is lit and they can suddenly understand and speak in languages they hadn't known before. The scripture says tongues of fire rested upon their heads and they began to talk to the people outside their door. All those people from far off places. It's like the walls of us and them come down. And the whole world of people just outside, they leave their room 
and they head out and begin to communicate with others. They leave that safe little room and head out to all those different people from all around the world. And it doesn't take long before people are wondering about these guys. They actually wonder if they're drunk. And that's when Peter steps forward and begins to preach. You remember Peter? You remember how he had failed Jesus miserably. He had told him that he'd be willing to die for him. And in the end, he had denied even knowing him three different times. Was it shame to be seen as a follower of Jesus? Was Peter afraid that he could be next? He had failed Jesus miserably. Have you ever let someone down so horribly that you just want to run away from them? It's not, you don't even want to face them. You don't want to face it in yourself because you have disappointed them so terribly. I had a childhood friend that had a running away problem. And I, I don't mean like little kids do where they get mad and they take their pillow and walk out to the minivan for a little while before coming back in after they've cooled down. My friend had an actual running problem. When things got hard or uncomfortable or scary for her, she just run. Broke her mother's lamp, run out the door. Uh, bad grade of a court card, go run home. Uh, and I had a distinct memory one time of being in youth group where something said that embarrassed her and suddenly she just got up from the table and ran out the door and I remember two youth leaders trying to figure out who could run fast enough to catch her. She wanted to run away. And I think about Peter, and I just think it wouldn't surprise me one single bit after what happened on that faithful night of Jesus' arrest if he ran out the door and never looked back. The shame. The shame. That's what shame does, doesn't it? It keeps us hiding. It keeps us locked away. And here is Peter stepping up, stepping up to preach and teach. This is the miracle of Pentecost. Peter finds suddenly his voice, this mission and ministry that we will call the church. He will become a leader in the Jerusalem church. Peter stands up and begins to teach and lead. Pentecost is often noted as one of the opposite of the Tower of Babel story. It's a time where the walls of division came down. They could cross those language and cultural rounds and understand each other. But that's not the only miracle of that moment. They also had the miracle that they had something to say. They realized they had something to say to the world. Just look at Peter. The Holy Spirit changed him. He steps forward to the crowd. He tells everyone listening, hey, look, we're not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock, which I happen to think is a terrible excuse, by the way. He should have maybe worked on coming up with a different rationale. But he says, hey, it's only 9 o'clock. We are not drunk. And then he begins to quote from the prophet Joel. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. No more huddled behind locked doors and waiting. After 
Pentecost, they walk out the doors to the world outside and realize they had something to say about the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. They found courage they hadn't had before. And the church truly exploded. If you read on in the book of Acts, you will see how quickly and how massively they grew. And they, people were perplexed by these Christians. They were confused by the church. Here are people that are gathering together across different cultural and national bounds. That it was men and women, slave and free, Jews and Gentiles. They were stepping over race and class and power structures. And when Christians would be arrested, they would be sinning in prison, even willing to die for their faith. People wanted to know, who is this Jesus? Who is Jesus to have a church that looks like this? The Spirit gave them courage to be more than they had ever imagined or dreamed. They realized they had something I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will have visions. I will pour out my spirit on all people. All people. That's you. That's you. All people. You know, it reminds me of a little joke that I remember a Presbyterian minister telling once about a time when a preacher was given his best shot at a Sunday morning sermon, and he made his first point, and a woman in the back said, Amen, brother. And there was a little bit of, you know, awkward looking around amongst the seats of who just made that noise. And then he goes on to the sermon, and he makes his second point, and she says, Preach it. Amen. Hallelujah. And everybody, oh, then the little rumbling gets a little more uncomfortable in the room. Everyone starts looking, and finally the minister comes to his big conclusion. And after he says amen, she stands up and says, praise the Lord, hallelujah, amen. Well, that was it. The usher comes walking up towards her, and he says, ma'am, is everything okay? And she says, well, yes, I just have the spirit. And he said, well, you certainly didn't get that here. <laughs> Christ and you have no choice compelled 
to share that with others. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I hope you speak a word of justice, righteous justice, like the prophet Amos spoke about in the Old Testament. I hope you speak a word of love, love, because Jesus knows you, this you love. You have been called to speak a word. And when you are scared, when you're mindful of all the ways that you have failed and disappointed him again and again, I sure hope you remember Peter. I hope you remember how Peter found courage because the Spirit of God was not done with him to stand up and speak again, a spirit that was not ready to give up on him. You know, Galatians gives us a word about how we know when it is the Spirit. And I, I'm so grateful that we have this passage in Galatians. There, Galatians says, we will know the Spirit by its fruit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I had to sing a little church camp song in my head to do that. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That is the Spirit of God at work. I like how the Benedictine nun, Joe Chister, says, she says, I know it's the Holy Spirit if it calls me out of my smallness. Church, there is no need to be small. There is no need to be afraid because the whole 